Hi, and thanks for listening to the Turtle Talks podcast, a podcast which will cover the comings and goings of the Happy Dancing Turtle Garden crew through the upcoming year. We'll cover topics ranging from planning your garden to putting your garden to bed. Now, to learn more about us, go to happydancingturtle.org. Now, let's get started. Before we get to the rest of the podcast, we like to take a little time outside of uh, outside of that to make sure and let you guys know what we're doing here on campus uh, with the garden update. Um, right now, I've got Dave Wilson here, who is our garden specialist, and he's going to fill you in what they've been doing for the past couple of weeks. Go ahead, Dave. Thanks a lot, Colin. I've uh, just been making a lot of um, soil blocks lately, um, so we make our, our own uh, soil blocks here and hit everything... Um, situated uh, so we can start seeding a little early. Uh, we did about 2,400 storage onions uh, <laughs> that we just seeded. Oh, they which, smell wonderful. Yeah, yeah, they're great. Yeah. Uh, which is a lot of onions, but uh, they uh, seem to do better when we start those from seed here in our climate. Uh, yesterday, in fact, we seeded spinach in our hoop house. Uh, we've just been waiting for the soil uh, to kind of warm up, you know, spinach is um, uh, more of a cooler weather crop. So they like about, you know, uh, 55 degrees um, to 60s in there. But No, uh, spinach, though, is not, I mean, that, that just sprouts and grows real quick, mm-hmm. doesn't it? It's not that yep. long. Yeah, most of the uh, seeds that you put will generally um, sprout in about a week. So, That's so bad. So, yeah, we're uh, looking forward to that. And then... I uh, had started some uh, certain varieties of uh, longer day peppers and uh, some tomatoes. Oh, no uh, way. You can't yep. be doing that this early, do yeah. you? Seriously? Yep. yep. <laughs> I mean, we're recording so, this, and what is it? It's, it's the middle of March. No way. <laughs> yeah, it's the middle of March, but our greenhouses are working. And I did um, put a smaller greenhouse within one of our larger greenhouses, and that's um, covering some of our round beds uh so, so that is actually trapping in much more heat you know it acts of more insulation you know you get just more layers that you put in there uh just uh, trap the air you know within those extra layers and and it really does make a difference well so okay so you've got your <laughs> surgical tent there basically right i yep. mean double it up uh, how many weeks can you? I mean, that's weeks, right? That yeah. That that'll add mm-hmm. to your growing period, right? Yep. Yep. How, um, how many weeks? Well, I'm thinking uh, maybe four weeks, uh, maybe a little bit more. Well, we got a small growing season up here, so yeah. I mean, that'll definitely make a difference, though. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. Well, that's awesome, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, kind of what we've been doing, mm-hmm. and just getting everything else ready. has really not too much to do with this podcast unless unless oh, it sure does. does. Sure I mean, does. that's, yeah. yeah. 
root strength and all that stuff. Sure. Predator prey relationships. I can't wait to get to that. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, (laughs) thanks for tuning in, guys. It is our fourth episode of Turtle Talks with the Garden Crew. And my name is Colin McLean. I work marketing up here at Happy Dancing Turtle. And I'm joined here with uh, Jim Chamberlain and Allison Ryan, who work with uh, gardens, our garden crew. This uh, week, we're going to talk a little bit more about the importance of, well, remember a couple episodes ago, we talked about soil health and how important it was to have that basic understanding of your, that's how important it is to keep your soil healthy. Um, We are, and just like we promised, we're going to delve a little bit deeper now. We got one of these uh, structures to look at to build our tower of a great garden, a great healthy soil. And one of those is plant diversity. I'm looking at our notes and the first one, and we covered this just a little bit in the, in the Soil Health podcast. I chuckle every time I see it, plant snot. <laughs> plant snot. There's a, a scientific term for it. I'm sure you know it. Maybe you can tell us what it is. It's plant exudate. We talked about that in the first, first podcast. The second, second, second podcast on soil health. The first one on soil health. And that was, you know, talking about the four pools of energy, so... Um, the chemical one, which we know well, the biological pool, plant exudates is another pool, and, and carbon. But um, diversity is important um, when it comes to that plant exudate pool because different type of types of microorganisms, so back to that biology, being able to convert nutrients to a usable form and cycle nutrients in the soil ecosystem they feed on that the microorganisms feed on that plant snot or that plant exudate Um, different microorganisms feed on different types of plant exudate that are given off by different types of plants so plants so the more more diversity you have above ground the more diverse your plants you know the more diverse kinds of plants that you have the more microbial diversity you'll have below ground and the more diversity and more availability of nutrients you'll have to go with that is the theory. I'd just like to um, tell our listeners, if you've never been to Happy Dancing Turtle, we give a lot of garden tours in the summer. And um, Jim is the only tour guide that mentions plant snot in his <laughs> garden tours, but it really gets everybody's attention. <laughs> especially especially, especially the, grade the grade school kids or junior high, as soon as you place say plant snot, people start listening. Ears perk up. Yes. What? <laughs> plant snot or bug poop. Got to go where they're at, you right, know? Right. Go where their minds are. Absolutely. So you have organisms feeding on the plant snot and then other organisms feeding on those organisms and up the, up the chain it goes, having a um, complex and diverse food web means you have a healthy ecosystem and... Um, well, I'm just the nutrients your, are being cycled. I'll stop you right there. Maybe mm-hmm. you guys can let us in. What do you What do you mean by food web? Um, it's the yeah, it's that predator prey relationship. So, um, you know, if if the most popular food chain that people think about is the deer eats the grass, and then the the wolf eats the deer, so that's kind of the food chain. Same thing happens in a predator prey relationship in a soil ecosystem where you have bacteria that would eat plant snot or the plant exudate and in turn that bacteria would be eaten by something larger say a a nematode and then that nematode would 
provide when that nematode either defecates or dies off, then it would provide nutrients to that to the plant. Yeah, I saw this video one time where it was a micro micro microscopic video of soil, a soil ecosystem, and there's all these little bugs. You can't see my hands moving, but all these little bugs that are <laughs> crawling around and then you know darting in and out behind these clumps of soil in the in the in the microscopic video and life is good. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they all just disappear in this big lumbering protozoa or something comes <laughs> comes through the middle of the video, you know, and it's the big predator that's coming through. Just Scatter. Like the, just like the, the just like the um, gazelles when the lion comes or whatever. Microscopic food chain. I mean yeah. that's. That's really neat to think about because if you look, you know, you look, you think about what you've learned, right? You know, you stick your, your seed in the soil, it grows roots and something sprouts up the top, you know, and then we'll eat that top. Little do we think about what goes on underneath unless it's like a potato or a carrot or something like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is just amazing, amazing to know that there's something that microscopic that is happening at that level. And we've lost a lot of that diversity, that microbial diversity in our, in our agricultural soils. You know, for a long time, I thought that most of our seriously degraded soils were pretty much dead, but we we know now that that they're not dead. They're just they just have a limited number of microbial species. So the microorganism the, the microorganism species in the soil are just very limited. The diversity in some of our midwestern agricultural soils that are degraded are very similar to the diversity in desert landscapes. Yeah, in our agricultural soils that are severely degraded. And that's because it lacks that diversity of plant roots and all the other stuff that, all this other soil health principles that are needed to create a a diverse microbial population. Uh, the next one you, um, you have on your list here is we want to talk about the rooting depth. Uh, now I was a little confused about that, but maybe you could cover that a little bit more. Well, that's just, um, um, you know, ba- basically looking at that diversity. And, and that kind of relates to companion planting, which we might talk to about later. But um, different plants have different, different, different root structures. Some are, have tap roots, some have more fibrous roots. And... Um, yeah, so getting that diversity in there allows um, allows you to grow different kinds of plants that utilize different spaces in the in the soil profile. Some will go deep and pull nutrients from deep within the soil and bring those up to the surface. Um, some tend to go more towards the top of the, the surface and will utilize nutrients up there and help to cycle those nutrients. But basically you build soil, you can build soil in the soil profile. You can increase the health of the soil and the organic matter and the Carbon content in the soil at depth by using um, by using the soil health principles. So you're not just adding to the topsoil. You know, the thing they used to always say is it takes you know a hundred years to grow an inch of topsoil. Well, sure. you're not really growing that topsoil on top of the soil that's already there. You're building it into the soil profile. Yeah, and that's not a kind of a, a thing you think about. I mean, but I have heard that um, some people have used some um, farmers have used you know they'll, they'll plant a 
uh, an acre of corn, right? And then they'll grow that for the summer. And then the next year, next two seasons, they'll grow alfalfa to replenish the nit nitrogen yep. that they takes away. So, I mean, that's just another way to do diversity is what it sounds like, mm -hmm. you know. Cyclonutrients, yeah. Cycl and, and does that have something to do with the root structure as well, maybe? The root structure and the nutrient demands of the plants. So, you know, corn has different nutrient demands than, than soybeans or, or alfalfa. So by, by increasing that diversity, then you, you change the demand that, that's on the soil to provide those nutrients. Yeah, the bottom line is different different plants have different nutritional demands, so that's a reason for increasing diversity in, in all the different ways you do that, whether that's multi-species cover crops or companion planting or crop rotation. Okay, so a uh, couple, of, couple of years ago, uh, I, I thought it was interesting. You guys were planting um, something called winter rye in the fall, which really blew my mind. I thought, hey, wait a minute, it's September, why are you wasting your time with this? And in fact, there was another time in December, we had a nice heat wave and you guys went in there and you planted, what was it? I forget, was it? I guess I don't remember. We were probably doing a frost seeding, so it could have been a mix. I mean, as, as a city boy, like I'm, I'm a city boy, right? Well, Brainerd, town boy, whatever you want to call it. You, you learn that you grow in the spring, you know, you plant in the spring, harvest in the fall, right? Mm -hmm. And and. Why would you ever consider planting in the fall? Because it's winter around here, you know. You're it's it's once October hits, it's going to freeze, and there's no reason to start planting. No, you're not. They're not going to grow in time. It blew my mind to see this happen, and, and you were telling me that has something to do with something called cover crops. Maybe you could tell us a little bit why uh, how how you do that, you know, or why well, it's important. Cover crops are just a way to increase diversity um, by planting a non-income producing. Crop. So basically a cover crop is just a green one, another name for it is a green manure. But basically it's just a, a way to keep, to, to meet those soil health principles of keeping the soil covered and living roots in the ground and increase diversity um, by getting something on there, getting something planted out there, um, trying to keep something growing. And then once it hits spring, you guys just till it up then and give um, more food to the soil? It depends on what you're doing. Sometimes you can plant right into it. <clears throat> Sometimes we'll plant a cover crop that will die out over the winter so we don't have to worry about terminating the next year. I've only worked here for one full garden season and this is coming up on my second and I'm really looking forward to it. But um, so when I started, the garden was just getting started and I was getting to know Jim and Barb and Dave and um, learning how the garden works and how um, we all work together, right? Well, um, every morning we'd have a little meeting about what needed to be done that day and what we were going to work on and Barb and Jim don't always agree. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's for the best, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know what she's talking about. <laughs> make, make some strong and right? And Barb said something along the lines of, you know, they usually have the same goal. It's just maybe not the same way to get there. And they're like a carrot and an onion. Carrots and onions really like to grow together. They like each other. Um, and so 
some sometimes one of them is the carrot and one of them is the onion. But which one's the onion today is kind of the cranky one. <laughs> Jim, are you a carrot or an onion today? <laughs> Good way to get to know your new coworkers. There's a book that I love that I've, when I first worked here, started working here, that Barb Barb mentioned. I should read. It's called Carrots Love Tomatoes. And uh, that's another thing I didn't understand, uh, that certain uh, plants work together best when they're growing at the same time in the same space. Maybe we could cover a different of these, a couple of different different sets of these formula uh, so people can kind of try it out on their own. Do you have one, Jim, that you like to do in your garden? Well, I guess one that, that goes back a long ways is the Three Sisters, which is corn, beans, and squash, where um, um, the corn, you know, was a staple food for Native Americans. So they would plant the corn, and that served as a kind of an anchor f or a, a climbing structure for the pole beans to climb up on. And the, the beans are a legume, so they put nitrogen back into the soil. And then squash would be planted with the corn and the beans to act as living mulch to keep moisture in the soil and keep suppressed weeds and all the things that... that mulch does this is just squash acts as a living mulch yeah, you've seen those leaves yeah. though right i mean they block out pretty much anything right. so that's a great way to get rid of weeds you know um, yeah and i think the comp i think the proteins complement each other in in the corn beans and squash too so you mm -hmm. get a more complete protein when you cook those foods together and there's a possibility of a fourth sister and that's planting sunflowers around the edge of your plot i think the sunflowers attract animals or birds that might feed on the feed on your crop or your seeds but the sunflowers are there and a more preferred food that's how i understand it well then that's something we don't have written down on the list here but maybe you can talk a little bit about letting your soil rest what's um what does that gain for your gain for your your future seasons needs a break. yeah what does that do for the soil but by letting the soil rest we don't leave it black Still got, it's still got a crop, a cover crop planted on it that will either be, mm -hmm. will be terminated somehow. Sure. Usually we till that in. We try to, to till no more than once every third year. That's just putting and the green that, leaves back into the soil. Then is what yep. that means. Okay. And that okay. and that rest helps to um, replenish soil if that's something that you're looking for. And we're going to talk later about um, how to choose cover crops and why. They also break up pest cycles. So um, the life cycle of a, of a particular pest um, needs the plant that it, you know, um, host, host <laughs> it plant. needs host a host plant. plant. Yeah. Thank you. If it's gone, it's not going to do well. Yes. Yeah. And then, sure. and so when that, when that pest egg hatches, if that host plant isn't there, then you're breaking that up that pest cycle. Uh, we also like to plant um, some herbs that attract Insect predators, dill attracts lacewing, I think. Yeah, any of those real leafy, feathery leafy, plants yep. will attract a lot of pollinator, a lot of predatory insects. Wasps. Um, wasps. Predatory wasps that lay their egg inside the mostly worms that eat your crops. And then the egg will hatch out inside the worm and eat it from the inside out but before then, it pupates well, and comes out. Yeah, but then you got to deal with the wasps. 
Oh, they're just a little tiny. They don't no, no, they don't. They're not like stinging wasps. Okay. They're, no. They're okay, it's a different they don't sting people. They, yeah. They're predatory. They're a tiny predatory wasp. Yeah, not these big. No. No. That's a different type of wasp. Big jerks. Yeah. Get you, you know. <laughs> they have a niche too. I mean, they have their, their, their role in the ecosystem. Yeah, I've heard of people putting like really spicy plants on the outside of their gardens to keep like, uh, you know, like, like radishes or, or catmint or anything like that, basically. So so it keeps the um, mammals or anything, rabbits, rabbits and stuff, they yeah. just stay away. Is, is that kind sure of a companion planting? That, or? It is, yeah. yeah. I'm not sure if it works. I, <laughs> fence <laughs> is the best way I've found to sure. keep out rabbits. <laughs> <clears throat> Marigolds are supposed to help with some insect problems, things like that. So, Well, those are pretty, too. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah, they, we, they add a certain layer to the garden. We spend most of the time in the spring on the vegetables, but when most everything's planted in the ground, then we take a little time and plant some flowers. Mm-hmm. No, the, the, the berms you guys have here, just gorgeous with the milkweed and, and, and I don't know what they are. There's, I mean, they're, we they're beautiful. We, yeah, they, <laughs> they sort of evolve uh, just like any um, habitat or ecosystem. It's, there's a lot of changes there through the years. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's all we have to offer for uh, plant diversity. Um, remember, diversity is great in all cultures, whether it's plant, human, or animal. Um, look towards the diverse... Um, if you have any more questions, please go look at us at happydancingturtle.org. And microbial. Oh, and microbial. You know where to find us. <laughs> Thanks for checking in. Oh, we're not doing that. <laughs>